Welcome. I'm Leslie Canham. I'm Mary Gavoni. I'm Linda Harvey. I'm Olivia Wan, and together we are the Compliance Divas. Welcome to the Compliance Divas podcast. Our special topic today is a topic that can sometimes be a little bit uncomfortable to discuss. My name is Leslie Canham, and we as the Compliance Divas bring clarity and simplicity to compliance by navigating the regulatory compliance environment to keep you on course. You can subscribe to the Compliance Divas podcast for your favorite podcast channel or on our website, thecompliancedivas.com. Any resources that we mention during our podcast can also be found on the compliancedivas.com website. And questions are always welcome. Again, support at thecompliancedivas.com. So the topic, as uncomfortable as it is to discuss, is a necessary one to set the tone. Sexual harassment and abuse in the dental setting. It's important to create office policies and conduct training on sexual harassment and abusive conduct to prevent these kinds of behaviors from occurring. Because when this type of behavior does occur, it can destroy morale, reduce productivity, and result in severe legal consequences. Employers and individuals can be held personally liable for sexual harassment. So in this podcast, my fellow divas and I will discuss what you can do to maintain a harassment-free and respectful workplace. So I'd like to start out by sharing a little bit of what we've seen over the years. It was in 2006 when Tarana Burke, a survivor of sexual assault, wanted to do something to help women and girls of color who had also survived sexual violence. She coined the phrase, me too. And then in October of 2017, the actress Alyssa Milano reignited Me Too with a tweet. And she said, if you've been sexually harassed or assaulted, write Me Too as a reply to this tweet. And it quickly turned into a movement and a popular hashtag. Actually, in December of 2017, Time Magazine named Person of the Year the Silence Breakers as a tribute citing the individuals like Toronto Burke who were the forces behind the watershed movement of Me Too. What should happen in a dental setting to prevent this type of behavior? What I'd like to do is just first, let's get a definition. Mary, could you share with us what the definition of sexual harassment is? Sure, Leslie. First of all, sexual harassment is considered to be a form of discrimination that violate, violates Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So it is um, overseen, if you will, by the Equal Opportunity Employment Commission. And it is defined as a number of things, unwelcome sexual advances, requests for sexual favors, and other verbal or physical conduct of a sexual nature. It is not just perpetrated against women. It can be perpetrated against men in same-sex situations. It All of the, the um, genders can be involved. And the EEOC 
states that sexual harassment can occur in a variety of circumstances that are inclusive of, but not limited to, um, the victim being a man or a woman. The victim doesn't have to be of opposite sex. The harasser can be the victim's supervisor, someone who is an agent or uh, another um, person that works for an employer, a supervisor in another area, a coworker, or even a non-employee. Um, maybe it's the person who delivers cases from the dental lab who might be um, an abuser making certain comments or something when they come into a dental office. The victim does not have to be the person harassed, but could be anyone affected by the offensive conduct. In fact, or for example, it's happening in a workplace and the person who the comments might be directed to is not complaining or, or doesn't seem to want to come forward, but it could be offensive to the coworkers as well. Unlawful sexual harassment may occur without economic injury or discharge to the victim. So it doesn't mean that um, someone's pay could be docked if they don't agree to sexual favors, for example, or that they're not dismissed. And the biggest determining factor is that whatever the harasser is doing, their conduct must be unwelcome to the person who is the recipient of that particular conduct. Well, Mary, that's a great wide explanation of sexual harassment. And, and it does seem that it could occur in a dental office, maybe sometimes without other team members or the employer even knowing about it. Olivia, can you give us any other information about the facts surrounding sexual harassment? Sure, Leslie, and it, it really goes along with what Mary said that we, we have to be educated about what sexual harassment is in the first place. And I remember teaching a CE in, a while back and when I was discussing this topic, a hygienist pointed out to me when we were discussing sexual harassment, she said, it's unwelcome conduct. So when patients were flirting with her that another hygienist found offensive, this hygienist said she enjoyed that attention. She enjoyed the flirting and she did not perceive it as sexual harassment, whereas the other hygienist did. So that's a good starting point that the harasser's conduct is not welcome. And as Mary indicated, the harasser, it could be either gender. I had a situation in a dental office where the harassment was taking place between two women. So this situation was not resolved earlier because perhaps the, those that were in management thought, well, this is usually a matter between male and female, and that's not the case at all. This was be between two women. Also, in a, in a dental practice, the harassment may be coming from management, such as an office manager or the dentist. But as Mary pointed out, it could be an outside person. So I've had this happen as well, where it was a vendor coming into the practice that was harassing a staff member. And even more commonly, I've handled situations where it was the patient harassing the team member, where I actually had to send a letter to the patient because this, actually I wrote the letter on behalf of the dentist, where the, the patient was clearly 
harassing the hygienist and it was unwelcome conduct. And unfortunately, I've had multiple matters where the dentist was harassing a team member. So whether that was intended as harassment or not, thinking it was just uh, innocent remarks or conduct, it was perceived as harassment. harassment. So that was unacceptable. And as Mary mentioned, it doesn't have to be the victim of harassment. If someone is in company of that type of conduct and they're offended by that conduct taking place, that it's not being dealt with, then that could be coined as harassment as well. And it doesn't have to result in economic injury. So we really, this is such a timely topic, Leslie, to really understand what constitutes sexual harassment so that we could be sure we dismiss it from our practice. Olivia, that's great. And it helps to understand that it, the harasser can be a patient, it can be a co-worker of either gender, it can be a supervisor, and in some cases it's unfortunate, but it can be the dentist employer that's the harasser. Mary, you had something to add to that. I did. Something that I've seen over my career in dentistry, something that always sort of didn't sit well with me, but but with um, sometimes a male dentist and female assistants, which it has been historically the, the model in the practice until the last um, several years, that dentists will do some things that they think are very, very innocent. And one of the, the things that I would see a lot is the dentist taking the air water syringe and pointing it and spraying at the front, at the breasts of the, the dental assistant, and then just sort of laughing, thinking that's hilarious. That is actually a form of sexual harassment, whether there was harm intended or not, and it can make people very uncomfortable. And so just, the, the point is, as Olivia was pointing out, is that it, it can be something very minor, um, but it depends on, of course, how that is received by the recipient. And I can remember back in my early hygiene career, having a patient grab my butt on the way out of the treatment room. I was escorting him out of the treatment room and he grabbed me and I quickly turned around and let him know that that was not appropriate. And I asked for my dentist employer to back me up on it. And he did not. He said, oh, he didn't mean anything by it. He's a long-term patient. We don't want to upset him. But I didn't stay long in that practice knowing that that was the attitude. Wow, I think there's probably a lot of folks that have that same feeling of, of, you know, I won't stay in a practice where they're not going to take responsibility. And employers most certainly are responsible, especially if they known or should have known that this behavior occurred. I'd like to ask Linda a question. We've heard uh, something that a phrase called quid pro quo and also hostile work environment. Can you shed some light on those phrases for us? Leslie, to add what both Mary and Olivia have said, let's talk about these two terms because it encompasses everything that we've been going over so far and, and a little bit more here. First, we know quid pro quo is a tongue twister, right? But that essentially is talking about something for something. Uh, something is given or receiving, received for something else. And, and truthfully, there's nothing inherently illegal about that because two people can agree to swap goods or services, such as in a bartering situation. But in the legal world, 
it would it often refers to something that is actually in fact illegal. For example, a government official or a company executive who's receiving money in exchange for favor, such as voting a certain way or certain kind of contracts or some favor that others don't get. So, and it goes further then because we get into um, what's happening in the job and the work environment that Leslie and that both Larry and Olivia have talked about. So it could be, you know, when someone is offered a promotion based on sexual favors or given a better schedule or raise if you do something for your boss of that nature. So you end up being threatened, Leslie, if you don't or won't do something, then your supervisor will cut your hours or, or uh, threaten to give you a poor work performance if you don't go to dinner or date that person or do whatever it is they want. So it's really a very uncomfortable situation um, as we've mentioned already. And it also includes things like, you know, just the toxic work environment that these really both are. So when you think about quid pro quo and even hostile work environment, these are toxic work environments. And it, as you all said, it can come from an outside person, a vendor, a boss, a coworker, or a patient. So to add to some of those examples, I can think of situations where patients coming out of anesthesia in a dental setting, they act out, they don't know, they're hallucinating or they're dreaming. And I remember one of my oral surgery clients, this has nothing to do with sexual harassment, but this patient happened to have a knife on them. And as they were trying to, I guess, calm the patient down, he pulled a knife on them in his sedated state. So there could be safety issues, but, but heading back to our topic, um, you know, it's very difficult because when that patient is coming out of anesthesia and they perceive that you're trying to hold their hand or their arm or help them from, prevent them from hurting themselves, it can be misperceived in the patient's sedated mind that you're doing something to them and they misremember. And then of course we know where that goes because if they remember something, that's what they think is the gospel truth, so to speak, whether it was or not. So there's, there's really some delicate situations from the patient perspective uh, when it comes to the sedation in a, in a dental practice. And I can think back as a young hygienist myself being rather shy and Mary, I didn't know how to handle a situation like you did so bravely. I remember there was an older sales rep that used to call in our office and everybody loved him in the community. And I was new in the community and I was a newer hygienist. So I really had no history with this gentleman, except that he liked to hug. <laughs> and I, at that point in my life, I was not a big hugging person and I really didn't know him. So I don't think there was anything intentional about it. It just made me uncomfortable and I wasn't quite sure how to deal with it. So I'm so glad we're touching on this topic. <laughs> no pun intended, ladies, <laughs> that, we're, that we're delving into this topic and just, you know, helping others to be aware and feel more comfortable in managing it and dealing with it when it comes up. Because essentially we've got this hostile work environment. And that's when people at work are talking about sexual comments or, or sexual things all day long or other employees or other people's bodies. And it just, it can go a lot of different ways. It could be pictures that somebody puts up on their locker, on their bulletin board, text messages that they're sharing, um, the way somebody's dressing, you know, in the workplace. But it, when you think about hostile work environment, Leslie, it refers to a term of behavior of an individual and even several people that create this environment that makes it difficult or uncomfortable for another person. And that means that the person who feels like they're, I'm going to use the word victim or picked on, they feel afraid, they feel intimidated, or even feel violated. And so there can be a lot of different behaviors that create a hostile work environment 
whether, as I mentioned, you know, pictures on a locker, jokes that are being told, um, text messages being circulated, just comments that are made, all those types of things take on different nature, even teasing or berating. I like to use an example. We've all been in a situation where, where we've made a faux pas in our life. You know, we've, we've done something silly, but the maybe we made the coffee wrong or whatever the situation was. People joke about it, right? We, we laugh at ourselves. But when something um, keeps being laughed at and being picked at, and it turns into more of a sexual nature, you know, picking on someone's hair, um, looking sexy, or just whatever it is, then it becomes more of a hostile work environment. You've passed the point of a, of a small little joke or humor that somebody had. So when you think about a hostile work environment, Leslie, it's an offensive work environment or it's an abusive work environment. And this, as we've said, it can happen in all different parameters and there's no boundaries between sexes or anything. And this really, there are state and federal laws in place to protect employees from being subjected to these hostile work environments. So I know you're gonna address that more. Oh, Linda, that's a great explanation. And I think sometimes uh, we'll think back in our career. I know for myself, we had, I had experienced bullying and, uh, you know, the pecking order of a dental practice. And I remember being low man on the totem pole and uh, oftentimes got blamed for a lot of things because I was the low man on the totem pole. So it's important for everyone to, to recognize that we want to be happy at work. And uh, when it comes to sexual harassment and abusive behavior, uh, employees have protections from EEOC. And in case that there, no one didn't know what that acronym is, that's Equal Opportunity Employment Commission. And laws protect employees from employment discrimination when it involves harassment by managers or co-workers or others in the workplace. And denial of a reasonable workplace uh, change, uh, the, because uh, if, if, for example, you have religious beliefs, sincerely held religious beliefs, and uh, your worker, your workplace doesn't accommodate that, that can also be, and we have a, a podcast on that particular topic all on its own. Uh, improper questions or disclosures about genetic information or your medical history, those are improper questions for employers or for coworkers to ask. Or retaliation, because you complained about job discrimination or assisted with a job discrimination proceeding, such as a investigation or lawsuit, uh, and which can be uh, surrounding a, a coworker who's been a victim of sexual harassment. I would hope that most places of employment would have an employee handbook that has a section about reporting workplace abuses, such as sexual harassment. And if your workplace doesn't have one, you may want to bring up that it's a good idea to set policy and have some kind of, uh, of office policies in writing surrounding this topic. Now, um, for example, I'd like to talk about what we sort of touched on a little bit. If you are the victim of sexual harassment, uh, and, and most of us have already shared some form of, of what victims or even having been a victim of ourselves of, of being uncomfortable. What can you do? And the first thing would be to tell the harasser that the uh, conduct is unwelcome, offensive, and must stop immediately. If it's not comfortable and the harasser doesn't stop, report to a designated person in the office that might be a supervisor, manager, or employer. 
um, you know, you can demonstrate that the conduct is unwelcome by walking away or avoiding interaction, uh, using facial gestures or body language. And uh, again, if this doesn't stop the offender, then report this behavior to the designated person, office manager, or in larger companies, it might be a human resources officer or appropriate member of management. And again, someone must be designated so there's an avenue to complain without actually approaching the harasser. It's unfortunate when the harasser is a direct supervisor and uh, there's no place further to go, like, for example, if the harasser is the dentist employer. I also wanted to touch a little bit on uh, what employers and supervisors uh, should do if they receive complaints of harassment. And remember that uh, if you are receiving the complaint, take the complaint seriously. Listen actively and allow the person to tell his or her story. Uh, if you have uh, both individuals who are uh, parties to this sexual harassment complaint, uh, keep those parties separate if possible, at least for taking the story in from each side. Never force a confrontation between a complaining employee and alleged harasser. Uh, don't put the complainant back to work with the alleged harasser. That may be hard in a small practice because we really have no place to go. In larger companies, you may be able to assign that person to a, a different department. And it's important to be candid with the, the parties and the witnesses because complaints and interviews are not considered confidential. They're confidential only on a need-to-know basis, but they may be brought up again if a, a court case pursues it. And uh, you want to explain that before they make their complaint. Understand that, that I may have to share this information in order to resolve this issue. So uh, it's important for them to know uh, that even if they ask us or ask the supervisor not to tell anyone, remember, supervisors and employers are obligated by the law to follow up and report. And it's ultimately very important to take sexual harassment complaints seriously and then do a thorough and immediate investigation. So with that, I wanted to uh, just check with our, our great uh, legal eagle a diva, Olivia, if you could give us some ideas of, on what a person's recourse might be, what remedies are available for someone who's been a victim of sexual harassment in a dental practice? Well, Leslie, one, one of the remedies would be, let's say the individual was fired because they did not yield to the sexual harassment or advancements being made on that person, or that individual quit their job because of the harassment, then the victim would qualify for back pay. So let's let's say they were making forty thousand a year, fifty thousand a year, and they ended up being uh, out of out of a job. They would be compensated their back pay. They would also perhaps qualify for compensatory damages or even reinstatement. Let's say that this situation was evaluated by EEOC or actually went to court and the harasser, not being the owner, was dismissed. The victim may be brought on back on board and restored to their position that they had. Now, it may be that the victim goes after emotional distress damages. Maybe the person had so much anxiety that they were having to be treated by a doctor and there's evidence in a medical record that they started experiencing anxiety, depression, and as a result of this experience. So these are all damages that start adding up. 
Now, at the very least, the person who's harassing would be made to cease and desist. Uh, so it's it's pretty much a, a maze of remedies, potential remedies for the victim for sexual harassment. And I do want to mention, Leslie, that the the victim either pursues consultation with a lawyer or they go directly to EEOC. So the person that is involved in the investigation must have experience in dealing with sexual harassment cases to make sure that the situation is being handled correctly, because this is a very, very serious matter. But I think that all of the divas have done a beautiful job in giving information for our listeners. So the bottom line here is that we want to make sure that a dental practice is a respectful and enjoyable place to work. No one likes being bullied. No one likes having a hostile work environment. And it's important for leadership to create a productive and safe workplace. There's got to be policies. There's got to be training. Most states require some form of training or another for both the employee and for supervisors and employers. Uh, of course, managers and supervisors should adhere to the standards of the law and should role model the desired behavior and provide appropriate to support uh, to either uh, other employers or other managers or supervisors who are on the front line. So we can ensure a safe and, and uh, productive workplace that is uh, free of harassment. With that, I would like to wrap our podcast today. We bring clarity and Simplicity to compliance by navigating regulatory compliance to keep you on course. Please submit your questions to support at the compliancedivas.com and any of the resources that are mentioned during our podcast, our many wonderful podcasts that you'll find on our website are also listed under each podcast episode. And with that, thank you so much for tuning in.